Mother's Day is around the corner. Find the perfect gift for the mom in your life with a stunning piece of jewelry from Blue Nile. From timeless pearls to dazzling gemstones, Blue Nile has something she'll adore. Need it fast? Most items can ship overnight. Plus, enjoy guaranteed free shipping and returns. Don't miss our special Mother's Day deals. Save big on the season's most beautiful trends. For a limited time, get up to 50% off by going to BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. Everyone knows therapy is great for solving problems, but getting therapy has its own problems too, like finding the right therapist, fitting into their schedule, and of course, the cost. Well, BetterHelp can solve those problems. It's totally online and built around your schedule. It's surprisingly affordable too. Connect with a credentialed therapist by phone, video, or online chat, all from the comfort of your home. Visit BetterHelp.com to learn more and save 10% on your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Hi, I'm Katrina Batu, and you're listening to Sorry Partner. Hello and welcome to Sorry Partner, a podcast about bridge and all things interesting to bridge players, brought to you by bridge partners and friends, Catherine Harris and Jocelyn Starts. On today's program, we talk with Norwegian-Swedish champion Katrina Berthaud about playing bridge across cultures, adapting to new partnerships and why the game is endlessly interesting. Plus, she shares her top tip for developing players. But first, let's kibitz. Hi, partner. Hi, partner. How are you, Catherine? I'm well, Jocelyn. How are you going? Doing well. What's been happening? I wanted to revisit a topic we were touching on a couple weeks ago when I mentioned having played in London and things that I noticed there, things that I thought were were different and interesting about uh, about how the game is played. And it occurred to me, you know, you have played in London, you have played in the U.S., you've played in Australia, and you've played in all those places quite a lot. So I'd really love to know what you have noticed or picked up on as being some distinct differences among the way bridge is played in those three places. So, I mean, I know I'd be really interested in hearing about that and I'm hoping our listeners will too, not to put you on the spot or anything, Catherine. <laughs> I don't feel on the spot at all, Jocelyn. Much. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> that is such an interesting question, Jocelyn, because I think on one hand, you know, like anything, everybody's always the same, no matter where you are. I suppose if I was speaking in incredibly sweeping generalizations, I might say that Americans like their rules, which is <laughs> yeah. great. Yeah. And 
the English people that I played amongst were very dedicated to certain kinds of etiquette, which I enjoyed greatly, though there's etiquette wherever you play. And the Australians maybe are a little freewheeling and <laughs> but like to test the boundaries. How about that? I love it. I think that's great. I think that's great. <laughs> you know, the thing I noticed that I thought was um, really distinctive in my brief foray playing with you in London was that every club we went to had a bar. It's just part of the culture yeah. that there's a bar. I mean, I think that would be quite impactful on the scene at the Bridge Club. It's kind of hard for me to imagine a bar. It's funny because I think people might assume that that would be the case in Australia, but I can't think of one club I've been to where there's a bar. I mean, maybe in another room if it's played at a big club where there's it just happens to be in a venue where there's a bar in another part of the venue but I have never played at a club in Australia where there's a bar and certainly not in the U.S. Well there was one in Marin County I remember but I think it's it's gone now but they had a bar and people would would definitely drink. Mm. My impression was that they would do most of the drinking after the game when they were doing the post-mortem review of the hands but it is possible that some people were partaking uh, during the actual play. But in London, at all those clubs, everybody was getting up, ordering another one from the bar. I remember I remember there was one gentleman who had quite a few. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> it is interesting, though, isn't it, that you go to these places and obviously you notice things about the country or the, the culture of the, the place more generally that you would see represented in the people that you're opposite. But the actual bridge clubs themselves, are uncannily similar. They're always in a slightly weird place. There's always the same cast of character, right? Yes. <laughs> and even the etiquette of going to a new club is always the same. You turn up, whoever's meant to be responsible for you never is. They never are there. No one ever knows what to do. If you've organised a partner, no one seems to know anything about it. They stick you with something weird or with someone weird somewhere. And you muddle your way through. And if you're lucky enough to go back, it's better the next time. And, you know, by your third or fourth visit, you're part of the gang, which is why we love the game. Well, it was, I was very grateful to you because when we went in London, you had paved the way already. You had been to all those clubs. So I was the newbie, but you had already made it. Um, you had already made all the arrangements so that it was just completely stress-free. For me, and I had a fabulous time at all three of the places that we played. It was just wonderful. And people were so nice, so that was great. Yeah. Yeah, they were great. Mailbag time, Jocelyn. Woohoo! <laughs> Two letters for you today. Okay. The first one's longish and the second one's shortish. Okay. Number one from Tamas in Hungary. Back in the early 2000s, when I was a junior, I played at an international event in Budapest. The field was pretty mixed. There were a lot of top players, but also pairs we knew from the local clubs and, of course, some foreign pairs as well, who we didn't know at all. About halfway into the event, we went up to the next table to a seemingly jovial, nice elderly pair who did not speak Hungarian. 
they reached 3-no-Trump on the first hand in a pretty straightforward auction. Uh-huh, straightforward. Uh-huh, seemingly nice. Mm-hmm. Okay. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Okay. I led a spade. The declarer thought for about five seconds, one with something in dummy, and promptly returned the nine of hearts from a doubleton. Small, small, I won with the queen from ace, queen, little, little. I don't remember the exact details of the board, only that I thought long and hard before returning some minor. Then my partner also got in with an ace and played another spade. The only tricks we got were these two for a clear 0% for us. Afterwards, I looked at my partner's hand. He happened to have the King Jack XXX of hearts. So they basically hold all the hearts. The opponents did not say anything. They just kept their nice smiles and attitude and moved on to the next board. Somewhat upset, we went up to our coach after the round to tell him about the lucky play and he enlightened us that the nice elderly lady was Maria Erhardt from Austria, many times champion of everything (laughs) in bridge. We continued on with hurt feelings, but we learned a much needed lesson on the importance of humility and on trick plays. Best wishes, Tomas. That's great. That's great. <laughs> yeah. Red flag when the seemingly nice, jovial elderly pairs come along. Yes. Do you remember that story about Lisa Berkowitz? Oh, she was <laughs> so kind to one of our guests. She couldn't have been nicer as she just completely slaughtered her at the table. Yeah. I do yeah. remember that. Yeah. Maybe that's what we should go for, Jocelyn. Not just the kind of card sharks, but the seemingly nice octogenarian. Yes. Well, card that shark. would be a lot of. That's that's just extra work for us. Though. A lot of extra work. The seemingly <laughs> nice part. <laughs> I'm just going for the octogenarian card shark. That's my goal. If I can be seemingly nice, sure, sure. <laughs> okay, okay. <laughs> All right. Well, you know, we can, we can, we can always hope. Letter number two, Jocelyn from Aitan Levy, who is the chairman of the World Bridge Federation Tournament Directors Committee. Mm. He writes to us that he enjoys our podcast, which is very nice. And thought we might be interested in this little story. Many, many years ago, I was playing with a regular partner who occasionally psyched. Once, in a pairs competition, he opened one spade and I alerted. When asked, I said, my partner has psyched. (laughs) We were friendly with our opponents and we all had a good laugh, especially as partner admitted that he had psyched. When he bid, I just knew it. How? I don't know. There must have been something in the way he bid or the expression on his face or some other sign that tipped me off. To this day, I don't know what it was, but it illustrates that regular partnerships may unwillingly and unwittingly be giving and receiving unauthorized information. Another argument in favor of screens. Yeah, it sounds to me like Eitan might be a bit psychic himself. (laughs) Boom, boom. (laughs) So if you have any fun stories about being taken in by a seemingly nice couple who turn out to be absolute killers at the table, or perhaps about a psych bit, please do send them to us via email or Instagram or voice message. These links are on the website at sorrypartner.com, along with some other good stuff. Coming up next, our interview with Katrina Berteau. Swedish champion Katrina Berto grew up in Norway. 
she started playing bridge at university, but moved to Sweden in 1999 and has since competed for Sweden. Her first championship on the Swedish women's team was in 2004, winning the European Championship. She is now a two-time world champion, winning the Venice Cup in 2019 and 2022. In 2022, she also won the Swedish Open Teams Championship. And in 2023, she won the European Transnational Women's Teams. We began by asking if she'd had any interesting hands lately. I don't know. I don't seem to be able to remember them. I mean, those you remember are usually the biggest catastrophes. Just coming home from Marrakesh, you know, the, the hand you remember most is when you played on your 5-0 in your partner's white splinter. <laughs> so what was the sequence? What happened? Tell us all about it. I opened a heart. She bet two over one, two clubs. I made a spade splinter and she made a heart splinter. And uh, I guess we were not exactly all the same uh, same wavelength, so I just passed. I, of course, was a little embarrassed about my opening, which usually is the reason when you suddenly pass in the middle of the bidding. Opened the little light on my 11 count, and so when she bid five hearts, I was like, yeah, I'm going to pass. <laughs> and, of course, it wasn't a great idea with partner showed up with no hearts and uh, a lot of clubs. So we were five hundred clubs and then five zero hearts. And then, huh. so, yeah, but uh, that was actually funny because that actually happened when I was in London also about a half a year back. And, and we were playing a Swedish team in a tournament in London. And both of the Swedish pairs on, on both tables had the exact same bidding misunderstanding, playing their 5-0 instead of their 5-5. <laughs> so, you know, even for the experts, this does happen. Was your partner able to laugh about it with you or was it a bit of a tense moment? No, actually, yeah. I mean, me and my um, my partner now is, is quite a new partnership. But so far, we've been um, quite able to support each other, even in the catastrophes. So, yeah, we just laughed a bit and took the leg forward. And, uh, and then, of course, discussed it afterwards, whether or not it should be splinter. So try to avoid the, 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 the disaster next time. But uh, no, I would say um, no, no tension. And then it definitely not at the table and during the game. We're very good at just taking the next board and then talk about it afterwards, I'd say. So it's a good quality of our partnership. How long have you been playing with this partner? Um, less than a year. So what kind of training do you do together to get ready for a tournament such as the World Championship? So it's I, I would say it's a long-term commitment. Um, I mean, we started off, of course, uh, setting the basis of our our system. This is also, of course, a development throughout, I think. But, you know, you need to start somewhere setting a basis of, of the system. And then bidding practice, we use uh, the, the app Qubit a lot for bidding. Uh, we also play, we, we now live in the same city, so we play at the club. I wouldn't say every week, but we try. But, uh, you know, we have a good team game with our club here in Stockholm. You can go down on a Wednesday evening and sit down against world champions, world champions um, playing a, a 24 board game, uh, like a team game. So it's, it's really good practice to go to the club. And then, of course, uh, we have played some, some major tournaments during this year to prepare also. But uh, the club is really a good asset for us here in Stockholm. When you're evolving your system, is there a horse trading aspect going on that I'll do this if you do this, or I, 
I won't do this unless we do this other thing? No, not really. I mean, we started off with something that was sort of ready. We're not, I don't think any of us are very interested in developing system from, from ground. So we, we started off with, uh, with uh, something that my partner had played more than me, but with, uh, um, but uh, like for me, I was very happy to have something that was done and finished. But then I think that the changes or the adjustments you do are more uh, smaller features. Of course, they could be some portraiting. Some, you know, someone says, "Would we, would we play this convention?" And we would discuss it and say, "I, I think this is too much, or it doesn't sit in the system, maybe." But in general, I think we mostly agree, and, and I think the changes we do during the year are are smaller. You know, not the changing whole conventions, rather just to make an adjustment in and then the sequence or adding some some meaning to a bid. I think most of the bidding practice more focuses on agreeing on levels, like what is your evaluation of a hand when you do the splinters? How strong is your hand? How you know, these are things that need time and, and practice, I think, to to evolve a partnership. Um learning a system, knowing that you don't bid you you know pass your partner splinters is more of a it's it's the easier part, I would say, of, of uh, system learning. Or maybe that you don't splinter into partner suit. Mm, yeah, see, that, that came up as a, as a part of this. <laughs> my, my new partner is, um, she has a great sense of, of, of uh, the correct bid, the academic bid. She, she strives to find the academic optimal contract. Actually, we're on our way to finding our... What do you call that in English when you play a four-three fit? Your motion, motion, Moisian. Exactly. So we almost found the Grand Slam in the World Championships. If we had could have, you know, uncovered the Jack of Hearts, I think we would have been there. We were on the on the road to to uh, seven hearts on the four-three fit. So these are the kind of bidding sequences, and and I think that my partner really loves. So she is very academic. Um, both in her private life and in Bridge, I think. And so she really enjoys doing, making these bids. And she's also, I think, a very trusty partner. She trusts me to be as smart as her, <laughs> to know what she means. And then sometimes I get it wrong. So then sometimes I pass her splitters. <laughs> One time. One time. Yeah. <laughs> it, could, it could happen again. <laughs> Would you consider yourself also someone who has an academic approach to Bridge? Yes, I think so. Both in my private, I mean, I my master's in is in applied mathematics, so I'm a science girl originally. So I think, yeah, um, I think that's why we are a good fit because I think we both of us have that approach to bridge. So, yeah, maybe not as much as her though. She likes to optimize uh, every part of the system, which gives a lot of strain on me. You know, I like. Twice her age, so it's a lot of learning for me, and that, and she's, I think, a lot better on remembering than I am. So it, it's it's uh, it's been a little bit of a challenge for me to to learn all the sequences that we have decided to play because some of them don't come up very often, and you need to know them even when they're uncommon. But I like it; I think it's fun. Who is your partner? Salman Clementson. Right, and you mentioned that you haven't been playing for very long. How did you two come to be playing together? So she's been part of my uh, of the Swedish women's team for quite a while now, playing with a different partner, and then um, my partner decided that we were living too far apart from each other. She's moved to a different country, and so uh, we decided to quit after 
more than 10 years together. And it was time for the Swedish uh, women's team to reorganize their partnerships. And so we sat down, the four of us, and had a little chat about how to build new partnerships. And, and this is what came out of it. So, Do you employ any techniques to help you try to remember systems? Or do you have any strategies that you use to get across system, especially facing a situation where you've got a relatively new partner? So I think bidding practice, because having actually bid the sequence with the hand in front of you makes you remember better. But otherwise, when I start to practice at home, I actually take the bidding box and I put the bids in front of me because it makes me visualize. And then I, you know, I get to the point where I know now there are a lot of relays or, or responses and then I can put them all in order and repeat them to myself. Like after this relay, first step is no shortness, second step is, you know, whatever the, the relay asks for or so, yeah, I, I think that's uh, that works for me. I haven't heard of anyone doing that before. It's so interesting. I'm sure you're not alone. But did you just decide to do that yourself or had you seen someone do that? I think it came up when we were trying to teach uh, my kids. So then we used the bidding box to show the bids and, you know, it sort of felt like a good way to visualize what sequence and then, then explain the bids. And so it's become like a, a technique for me also to, to remember and to learn. Well, that's great. I'm going to try that. When you pick the cards out of the bidding box, do you just pick the one card or do you pick the whole handful of cards, everything behind the card? All of it, yes. I don't understand how they do it. No. I mean, I understand how they get them out, but I just don't understand how they get them back in again. It drives me nuts. Yeah. It drives me nuts. <laughs> Absolutely crazy. <laughs> and they also, I mean, they do it so fast, right? They just, boop, they're all back in the correct place. And I have no idea how they manage, but <laughs> there are not many left that do it, actually. I think, actually, it's if you read the rules and regulations in detail, I might even think that it's not allowed. Hey, well, we'll have to look into that. Yeah. <laughs> Research, <laughs> yes. homework. Yeah, someone yes. <laughs> said that. So, you know, um, it's, uh, I mean, um, it could also be, I mean, you're definitely not allowed to alter. You have to do the same thing all the time, but I'm not sure what the rules are about it. But I mean, I'm also very surprised when people get them back in the timely manner that they do. It's like, oops, it's gone and it seems to be back in the right place. You hope. And then they go off to the next table, leaving. A mess for the next person. <laughs> yeah. No, but I don't do that. I pull out all of them. I mean, what's the fault in that if you can't empty your box if you bid the Grand Slam, right? <laughs> right. Have a nice big stack. Yeah. You want to do that. When you were evolving your bidding system, you must have also been talking about defense. And was that much more straightforward in terms of figuring out how you were going to strategize and come up with a, a system about your defense? Uh, yes, I would say that uh, I think there are less deviations. And uh, also coming from the same rich culture and country, there are certain things. I mean, I think to change your playing, your way of, you know, um, giving count or whatever is much of me. That has been one of the, the hardest things to change. I have a huge issue with playing standard because I've played upside down all my life. It's harder for me to, to make that change. And so I think we were doing more or less the same things and, and the, there were not that many discussions surrounding that. But I have been for the last 
three to three years now playing uh, with a, a mixed partner from France. And I think you have had him on your show. Thomas Bessist. Exactly. Yeah. Uh, and and the French course have a little bit different style uh, on how to um, to do it. And um, actually, I, I really like the French way and I think it has influenced me. And so I've taken some of these ideas back to my partnership with Sanox and, and made some changes that she um, has uh, accepted and been willing to play. So I'm very happy about that. And you learned to play in Norway when you were at university, correct? Yes. And then you moved to Sweden. Yes. The, the story is that I started learning when I was five from my grandmother, but I actually didn't start playing bridge on the tournament level until I started uni. So that's where I started playing bridge in a, in a basement at my faculty. Actually, it was a bomb shelter room, I think. So it was a little dark and groovy, but yeah. And then I went on my first junior camps, junior tournaments, and also my first national. And that's where I met a uh, Swede. So <laughs> I decided to move to Sweden. When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. Everyone knows therapy is great for solving problems, but getting therapy has its own problems too, like finding the right therapist, fitting into their schedule, and of course, the cost. Well, BetterHelp can solve those problems. It's totally online and built around your schedule. It's surprisingly affordable too. Connect with a credentialed therapist by phone, video, or online chat, all from the comfort of your home. Visit BetterHelp.com to learn more and save 10% on your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P. So, so that basement sounds uh, really interesting. And what attracted you to, to even go there? I, um, after I finished high school, I uh, went abroad for a year. And when I came back, my girlfriends that year had been bored, I think. So they <laughs> decided to go to a bridge course. They missed you. Maybe. So during that year, they had actually learned to play bridge. So I joined them. And then when we moved to, to Oslo to start uni, me and one of those girls, we were looking at us like we said, you know, maybe we should check it out. I don't know. It's a bad story, maybe. But the first time when we walked into that basement and we looked at the crowd and we thought, oh, my God, <laughs> it's such a group of nerds. <laughs> I'm shocked. I'm just shocked. <laughs> I mean, we were two young, fairly good looking 19 year olds. So we were like, is this really what we can do? And so we did. We walked in there, we introduced ourselves, we started playing, and it didn't take us too long to get hooked and start playing every week. And it took, I think, about six months, and the new students arrived for the next um, semester. 
And we were sitting there playing one evening in the beginning of next semester and two girls came in. And uh, we could see how they walked in, how they looked at us and we knew exactly what was going on in their minds. But this time we were looking out of the room instead of into the room. And that was when we looked at each other, it's like, this is so bad. Because you could really read their minds, you know, they looked at us and they thought, wow, such a group of nerds sitting here playing cards. But yeah, you know, when you when you get hooked to bridge, you you know, just never stop. You then moved to Sweden and have been competing for Sweden really for most of your professional bridge playing career. Did you notice any key differences in the way the two countries played bridge? Does anything stand out that you had to adjust to? It's hard for me to compare the like the system wise or play wise today because it's been so long, and I also I think my level of bridge evolved so quickly after I came to Sweden. But I think the the biggest change for me was the way I was accepted into the community bridge community in Stockholm and the seriousness of the bridge community in Stockholm, and it was much more a learning environment. I also spent the first couple of years playing with a really good partner. Uh, so he taught me a lot of my bridge and, and, and moved me from like a, a common club player, I think, into the, the level of bridge that I became when I started the, uh, the national team. So I think my development in my knowledge of bridge, my, my, what I could achieve was, uh, was huge when I came to Sweden. I mean, now I've lived half of my life here, of course. So I, I feel very connected to Sweden, but I also feel like Sweden taught me to play bridge on the level that I play bridge today. How did you transition from being an average club player? What happened in your partnership? How did you learn and move to that next level? It actually came a little bit as a surprise to me too, I'd say. I mean, it, it's, it's, it's very hard to measure and understand your own development to see how much you improve until afterwards when you can look back on it, I think. Uh, so the first time I got picked up on the, uh, the Swedish women's natural team. I, I hadn't really started thinking about it that much. But did you have a feeling? Could you sense that you were starting to see things that you hadn't seen before, that you had a facility that hadn't been previously available to you? Eventually you do. I, I can't fully put my finger as to at what point or when, but as you move forward and look back, you start realizing the kind of mistakes you did maybe a year ago, two years ago that you no longer do. Sure. You mentioned playing with that partner and how you felt that your game really improved with that partnership. I got a sense that you were saying that in some ways he really took you under his wing and tried to develop your game. Yeah, I, I would say so. But I mean, even then during that time and, and when that happened, it's, I, I don't think I realized that at the point when I was doing it. It's more when you look back, you realize how much you learned and developed during those years playing with him. Yeah. So were you reading a lot at that time or weren't working on your game specifically in that way? Sure, no, just playing a lot of bridge. Okay, so playing a lot and some really nice high-level mentorship. Yeah, playing with and, and, and against really good players and getting the feel. I mean, like, of course, I also, um, Peter, who I was dating at the time, of course, also was a lot of positive input to my game considering his level. So, I mean, the, that entire group that I came into, you know, had a completely different level of bridge than high I had when I moved to Sweden. Uh, and um, 
getting a piece of that knowledge was a, a huge part of my development, I think, into becoming a bridge player that I am today. Do you have a favorite tournament that you love to play? I think my favorite place I ever played was certainly Bali. And of course, the Venice Cup is always something special because it's such a I mean, it's such a, it's been such a goal for so long to, to participate and win, of course. But I mean, looking at the tournaments in, in, in general, I would say probably the World Series is even more of a, of a favorite than the Venice Cup because it's, it's a bigger tournament. There are more people there. And I also very much like, you know, the, the one week of mix and the one week of, of women's or, or open door and giving, giving you both of the excitements for both of the tournaments. I love traveling. I love going to tournaments. It's really one of the things I really enjoy with with Bridge. So um, yeah, the the big tournaments are such a blast. So I really enjoy it still, despite doing it for, you know, since since 2003. uh, I still enjoy it just as much. Are you one of those people who, when you travel, you get out and actually see the the surroundings or do you just stay in the tournament and never leave the hotel <laughs> i don't see much i mean when we were in, in brazil for example i think don't think we ever left the premises um it wasn't a good thing but um i mean looking at all the the places i've traveled i've probably seen very little i think bali was the only place where we actually did some actual touristing things you know we went snorkeling and because it was such an amazing place but in general, I would probably say I'm one of the people who who very much stays at my hotel and doesn't see very much. I like going to dinners and I like discussing my hands. You know, I'm not very adventurous um, outside of that. I, I love, I go there to play bridge, which is really my focus. Are you a superstitious player? Is there anything that you always bring with you or make sure that you have packed in your luggage? Mm, it was even more superstitious before, I think, but it wasn't really something you had to bring. It was more like, especially like with pens. If you start with a pen, if there's a winning pen, you can't believe lose that pen. And it had to, for a long time, it had to be blue. But I'm, I think I've, I have less and less of it left. Um, going back 10 years, it was more, I, I like to always sit in the same spot. I, I'm always south or west, but that's also, you know, it used to be a big thing. Now it's more of a preference, but it's not really that that important anymore. One thing we have picked up that the whole team though is in 2019, when we went to Wuhan, which was one of the hot places we brought with us, I don't even know what the English word is. It's, it's um, like a mineral nutrition um, uh, thing that you can, you put it in the water and you drink it to to add nutrition and minerals to your, to your body because you sweat a lot because it's warm. Yes. Electrolytes. Is that what it is? Because Catherine introduced those to me when we went to a tournament last year. She she said, oh, you you probably need some of these. And she gave me these electrolytes that you put in the water. Exactly. We started <laughs> that uh, when we were in Wuhan and, uh, you know, and how that worked out. It's called Fluid replacement that you put into Google. I'm not really sure that's the exact, but you know, it's like a little pill that you put into the water and it, it replaces stuff that you might lose if you sweat a lot. And so we started that in Wuhan and it's been become sort of a thing for the team. So every day, you know, it's like <laughs> we do this together. It's actually quite yucky. So we do it sort of like a toast <laughs> thing and then everyone has to finish it. The berry flavor is good. 
The worst one is <laughs> green tea, I tell you. Don't get the green tea. <laughs> but now we do um, raspberry. It's the, it's the best. Which is bearable, <laughs> but not great. Is there anything that makes you nervous at the table or uncomfortable? I mean, I've played so many years now, so I'm, I probably uh, have very few of those left. I mean, I, at some point I did get distracted a bit if people would talk and be overly nice. <laughs> I, I felt like I've been flirting out of my concentration. Um, but I think you, you've been so aware of these things now. you played for so long, so many tournaments and, and at that level that there's not much left of that. I think I have a, a reasonable level of nervousness, which I think you should have because you need to keep your adrenaline at a reasonable level so you get focused and, and don't relax too much because then I think you get lazy and you miss stuff. But I wouldn't say that there is something specific that makes me nervous. I mean, it's, it's you know, you go into the last set of the World Championship and you're down 17. It's not a great chilling. And even when we were in, in Italy, when we were playing Poland, when we went into the last set and I think we were quite equal or up a little or down a little, also, of course, this is a tense moment, but I'm not sure if it's, you know, if there's anything specific that makes me more or less nervous. Are there any strategies that you employ to reset? Say you've had a bad board or you've made a mistake, you're cross with yourself, you're cross with your partner, something's not going right. How do you get back into the zone? So it helps for me to write it down so I can review. And I think also the fact that me and my partner don't yell at each other, don't talk about the boards at the table. It helps with this a lot. So so that's a, that that seems to be something we agree on. Uh, so me and my partner, you know, unless it's something that really, you know, it's a bidding misunderstanding that potentially could happen again, we would never talk about what happens uh, during a board. So it sounds like if you're frustrated with yourself, you're able to manage it pretty comfortably and quickly in the situation and just compartmentalize it for later and get on with the next board. Yeah, I think in general, I mean, when we play the last set now in the quarterfinals and you know you 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 know you were down and you start with three band boards, you know, it's not a great feeling because you feel you have so much to take back. But in general, I, I don't think that my frustration of earlier boards affects me too much. I think I've been pretty good at at leaving them behind and, and move on to the next board. When you're faced with a situation like that, where you know you're down a few boards and you need to get some back, what is your thinking in that moment? Are you just trying to play your game or are you looking for opportunities? Like will you do something in that situation that you wouldn't normally do? I think we all do. Um, you mean you, you might push a little harder or look a little extra for a slam maybe to, to try to get it back, but in general, my thinking is that you should trust your partners. I mean, if you had a board where you went down in a game, uh, even if you realize you could have made it, you also realize that they will face the same challenge at the other table. Um, and you know, you trust your partners or your teammates to give the the, the, carrier the same challenge, the same opportunity to go wrong. So I think trusting your partners in that way. I will also say that if we went into a, a, a match with the knowledge that we needed to swing, it would probably not be on my table. I would probably, I mean, I think you know, 
my strength as this partnership is, is more being to play steady and, and deliver, but not to create. We have more creative players on the, the Swedish natural teams. So, and I think if you have a situation where you need to create, you can't really be doing it on both tables. I don't think that's a good strategy. You need to, I mean, because maybe if, if one table then succeeds and the other one just crashes it, <laughs> that's a bad feeling. So, and I, I think there are more creative people on my team in a situation like this. I wouldn't be the one creating points, like being speculative. I don't think that's my strength. What's the most annoying thing about bridge when you play? The unfairness of stuff making or not making when you think you're in the right spot and in the right place. You know, like everyone should be in seven spades, but they had a misunderstanding and stopped in five and the spades are four zero. That's annoying. That's really, really annoying. I hate that. Getting fixed. Yeah. Especially if they had no idea also. When they do it and they don't understand it. It's really annoying. Yeah. But that's a part of it. That, I mean, that's also a little bit the charm of our game that you could win or lose to anyone. You probably won't if you play 96 boards, but if you play two boards against them, you know, you could definitely get fixed. I mean, if you go down and play the club, you play at players with so many levels and then you sit down and play against people who don't know that they should be in four spades and now four spades just didn't make and <laughs> you just get a zero. It's both frustrating, I think, and also the charm of the game. <laughs> charm, yeah. Mm. I'll try to remember. <laughs> <laughs> you compare it to a game like chess, where you know that if you sit down against a player who has a rating 300 points above you, you will lose. You know, I don't think even 9 out of 10 points will, will do it. But if you go then to the club and you play the, the worst team in, the, in your group, you might lose. I mean, some days you do. And I think that it's a, a part of our game that I think is, is uh, makes it interesting, makes it fun. I will try to remember that it's charming next time it happens to me. Yeah, that's why I think we play also long, long matches when we do, because, you know, in the long run, you know, if they keep missing games that they should be in, eventually it will be to your advantage. Um, but over two or three board, <laughs> three board we Port game, then that could be really, it's it's a bit frustrating. Absolutely. What do you love most about Bridge? I think one of the uh, fabulous aspects of, of the game is the fact that it brings young and old people together. I mean, the fact that I learned this from my grandmother and she was so happy uh, when she realized how much I got into the game and it actually brought us a lot closer. And then now today I get to play tournaments with my son we taught him to play bridge and he also loves the game. And so it's, you know, I, I, you, you get to hang out with and um, get to know and get friends uh, at all ages. And I still remember when we brought my 12 year old son to like dinner parties where, you know, half the group was 60 plus. And I also see him now, now he's, you know, he wants to say, well, yeah, I want to say he's a grown up, but he's 18. So it <laughs> can be discussed, but you know, you, you now you can, take him with you to tournaments and he can hang out with groups and he, hang, he has friends who are from, you know, 15 to 75. And I think that's a, such a great aspect of our game. From all over the world. Mm, from all over the world. Yeah, exactly. That is wonderful. Mm. Do you have a favorite convention that you really love to play? So if you talk about gadgets, maybe more than conventions. Yeah. 
when we started playing second fourth through the clearer on defense, that is something that I, you know, I really enjoy. So that has, I think, become my favorite gadget. Um, we play a, a, it's, it's combined attitude based, but also second. So like from honors, we play the second and we play like a Russell third from honors and also from small cards, uh, from too little, we play the second card or the fourth card. So we combine the, uh, an attitude with with the card we play, which but sometimes it's a little revealing, but it's also very easy to read usually and to, to, to decide how to continue as a defender on the other side. So it's very helpful. So it's a convention I really enjoy. I think it makes defense easy and, and um, good. That's great. It's it's very popular in Sweden. Got it. Uh, when it comes to conventions, I would say if you look at conventions I don't like, I would say any conventions that you don't know, you don't remember. <laughs> yeah. Those are the worst <laughs> conventions. And I mean, it's very hard to, to to talk about because a convention could sit in one system and not in another. It could be good in one setting and not in a different setting. So it's, I think it's it's very hard to judge a convention just based on you know. If you put them out, take them out of context, it's very hard to judge a convention. So they have to be a part of a, a whole, like a whole system and, and fit in. But I'm not a, I, I don't think, I don't believe that conventions is the solutions to everything. You know, like adding new conventions to learn something. It's, it's, there are aspects much more important than having, playing all the conventions available. But communicating, communicating on, on defense, I think is, is really important. And I really like my second part. What's the best bridge tip or advice that you've ever been given? Okay, I've thought about that. It's actually one I got in Norway, so it was before I left for Sweden. And I tried to translate it. Uh, and I think the, the English translation should be something like bridge is an easy game, which of course it isn't. But I think the uh, the spirit of it, what it, what he meant, and what I think back of and use is that you shouldn't overcomplicate stuff. It is actually, I mean, it, it is not a... Uh, too complicated. You shouldn't make it complicated situations or easier than you think. And I've I've thought back on that a lot of times, and I, I use it. And I also use this as a as a counter sentence when I talk to people when they do say something. I would usually say, you know, rich is an easy game, <laughs> and just to to take the edge of that because they 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 make stuff too complicated when it doesn't have to be. Katrina, thank you so much for joining us today. It's been great talking to you. It was great. Thank you so much. And thank you so much for having me. It was so much fun uh, talking to you and talking about Bridge, the game we love. And that's the show. Many thanks to our guest, Katrina Berto. Thank you also to our Sorry Partner Posse of listener supporters who make the show possible. Sorry Partner is produced by Catherine Harris with production assistance from Jade Gray and David Turner. Our theme music was composed by Jocelyn Starts and produced by Daniel Graboy. Send your bridge stories and comments to sorrypartnerpodcast at gmail.com or send us a voice message. And please consider joining the Sorry Partner Posse that helps keep us on the air, so to speak. You'll get ad-free episodes, a monthly newsletter, bonus audio from time to time, and other supporter perks. These links and a link to our discount offers and merch store are in the episode description in your app, on the website at sorrypartner.com, or wherever you like to listen. We'd love to hear from you, but be nice, or we'll call the director. Until next time, play well. 
may all your finesses be on side. And remember, as Katrina says, bridge is easy. Don't overcomplicate it. Sure. <laughs> Thank you, partner. Thank you, partner. <laughs> Bye. Bye. Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear and fine leather goods, all at 50 to 80% less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style.